Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the DM Roundtable for January 2021. This is a chance for patrons and I to get together and discuss topics in tabletop RPGs, and by sharing our ideas, thoughts, and experiences, we can all become better DMs or GMs. The DM Roundtable discussions are open to all patrons at every level of patreon.com slash Rogue Watson. You don't even have to be an active participant. You can jump in here and lurk to your heart's content. And we are glad to have you. Shoutouts to my platinum patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Manuel, Basil, Christopher, Dave, Star, Loverly, and Gaston. And gold patrons, RPG Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy and Yuma, Marcos Dade, Vicente, Gilberto, Adam, Deathizard Lion, Sam, Rosh, Lumpy Spuds, Drone, Fatboy619, Sklenia, Nick, and Farty McButterpants. Thank you all very much for your support. This month's topic, as determined by the Patreon poll, is travel. How do we reconcile a normal adventuring day with long resting all the time? How do we maintain a fun pace with the use of random encounters? Do we use lots of travel rules, or do we hand wave them all away? Joining me for this month's DM roundtable, we have Farty McButterpants. Hello. Lumpy Spuds. Hello. Sam. Good morning. Brian. Present. And a special guest. You may know her as Miri. You may know her as Brysis. You may know her as Caleste. You may know her as Scarlet. The one, the only, my wonderful, amazing wife, Heather. Thank you, dear. <laughs> I love you, too. Pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> Thank you. Mwah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, traveling. Um, I am aggrieved by a lot of the travel rules with D&D. Uh, it just seems like they don't quite work well. I forget where the rule is. I think it's somewhere in the rule book, but it mentions that like an average adventuring day should have you know, this many encounters. And when you travel and you have random encounters, you're, in theory, long resting every night. Because there's no rules about not doing that. So we assume that you long rest every time when you travel. Well, that goes against the grain of of the adventuring day. It kind of... And, and the whole point of D&D, uh, you know, preparation and attrition and resource draining is to go through this adventuring day and drain the resources. That doesn't happen on traveling. So I want to discuss how do we pace together random encounters and how do we impose any kind of resting restrictions and if we have them and how do we maintain the pacing? This is going to be a big topic and I think we've kind of touched on several of these topics separately, but specifically with regards to resting, I find that... I am mulling over like plans for resting in future campaigns. Uh, Lumpy, let's start with you. Do you have any overarching resting rules or house rules or things that you implement? How do you handle, re uh, not resting, sorry, traveling specifically, but resting included in that? Well, traveling, a lot of times what I do is I hand wave almost all of it. I look at it as more of a, an excuse to drain uh, consumable resources on the party you know you try getting them to use their scrolls get them to use their potions and then you just figure that they're going to use a, a long rest in between each encounter that they have every single time so like i've put in uh 
Like they're going down a river, so they have a waterfall they have to overcome. Well, if I can get them to use that that potion of levitation that I gave them the day before, all all the better, you know? But uh, yeah, I usually try to add between two major locations, three to four encounters. Uh, combat or non-combat? Depending. Uh, I usually give them a choice to have combat. Any encounter that I have, they can usually either fight it out or they can find a way around it. Uh, for example, I had them come across a, a whole bunch of army ants one day. They could go and try to eliminate all the ants, or they could just try to find that treasure chest inside a, a, a carriage that was overturned. And they chose the latter there. They just kind of used the boots of springing and striding, jump across the shore, grab the thing, jump back, and they were on their way. So, yeah, a little bit of both, though. Okay. Um, Farty, let's talk to you, and please discuss for a second. My baby just woke up screaming, so I need to go take care of her, but please continue this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, have a, I struggle with, uh, um, with travel rules. What I typically try to do is use it for foreshadowing or to answer. So if there's something that's coming up in the campaign that I want them you know, I want them to kind of travel to a location, uh, like a werewolf den, I'll put, uh, you know, a werewolf encounter there. Or if they're asking a lot of questions about something, I might bring that in as an encounter. So it's not necessarily um, random. It's mine are very much set up. It's just a matter of when it happens. I don't, uh, that's part of the challenge. I guess maybe we'll move over to next person who wants to talk. I have returned. I'm so sorry. <laughs> there you go. No problem. <laughs> Literally started recording and just, it's like, okay. She's got great timing. No, she wanted to be included. How old is she? Six months. Ah. <laughs> Dave, welcome. a long road ahead of you. Oh. Thanks. <laughs> I tell you, it, 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 it's just phases. It doesn't matter how old they are. They'll make the same noise. It'll just mean different things. When yeah. a teenager, it's money. <laughs> we've got a we've got a nine year old as our oldest, so we've we've done the kid thing, but I have not done the teen thing yet. So uh, looking forward to that. Georgia kid thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dave, let's put you on the spot since you just showed up. How about uh, traveling? Uh, how do we do? How do we pace travel with with resting and encounters? Um, you know. That's an interesting question. So I'm currently doing Tomb of Annihilation, particularly for the reason that people want to do an outdoor adventure, more of an outdoor adventure, less sort of dungeon crawling. Though, you know, I've turned the, turned the uh, jungle into a dungeon crawl. Um, I kind of divide the day into thirds, and I pre-plan all the encounters, not down to the nth degree, but the sense like something's going to happen this morning, nothing's going to happen this afternoon, and such. And then... Um, it's funny with this group, you know, I really started with the whole long rest, short rest thing, but then they got, they had a ranger with them. So they had some advantages. They hired a guide. And then at fourth level, one of the characters took the chef feet. And it's like, okay, well that gives you some advantage for, for, for the food, food bits. So a lot of the basic survival stuff sort of disappeared within probably the first three levels. Um, so the March gets faster. Um, and it's interesting because I find if I throw them on a battle map, Everybody prepares for battle, uh, yeah. just with that assumption. So yeah. I just started doing it as a red herring. <laughs> it's like nothing happened. Here you are. 
and, uh, a fake encounter. It, 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 yeah, a fake encounter. Or I'll leave them on the big map, and then the encounter will start, and then it's like, oh, let's move you over. Um, so that's sort of what I've been doing with it. Um, prior to Tomb of Annihilation, you know, outdoor adventures were, or travel was just sort of a given. You know, you did it, you got there, and you were on to the next task. So, um, so for wave. me, it, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And it, it wasn't as big a part of the game. Um, so that's why I was interested in this topic, because I was really curious to see how others sort of address it and what they've been doing with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sam, how do we handle travel in your games? Um, it depends on uh, sort of roughly how far the party is traveling, what level they are. Um, the lower levels, I tend to uh, roll to see if they get a random encounter, but I'll pre-plan the encounters to try and further the story. So the the campaign that I'm running mostly at the moment is Prince of the Apocalypse. Um, so I'll pick out, you know, I want them to meet the water cult, so I'll have an ambush on the river, and I'll, if they're not on the river, then we'll look at uh, being greeted by the Air Knights or something along those lines, but I'll roll to see randomly when it happens. Um, Prince has past... good random encounters, in my opinion. Like, they did a good job, in that campaign especially, of making it feel like the villains were out doing villain shit. Like, they weren't just sitting in their dungeons waiting for you to beat them up. The bosses were. That part needed to be fixing. <laughs> but the actual <laughs> cultists were, like, out in the world, like, messing with people, setting off those, you know, weapons of mass destruction where their bombs were, and you could meet them out in the field. So I thought, you know, they're called random encounters, but they were actually, like, kind of scripted, like main quest encounters that helped further that story. So I think that's a great example of how uh, you can use combat encounters and bring your story to life by actually using those enemies. Yeah, I, I really like the encounters themselves, which is why I wanted them to experience particular ones at particular times. Um, so I, I left it a little bit out of chance, but it's... You know, I've, it's 17 or higher or 16 or higher or whatever I was rolling to give them the encounter. They were going to encounter it at some point on their journey. Um, and then, yeah, just played them in the order that I wanted them to play so that they had a, reasons to go and visit different cults at different times and find out about things. But really, I only do that up to sort of like level 7 or 8 because when you get past that level, I tend to find that uh, encounters while traveling just become a chore because mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like and you're either putting in such a big fight that's going to take a whole session and then well we've just done a whole session and not really got anywhere mm -hmm. or the, the encounters are going to be so easy that they just wipe them they might do like three in a day and it won't even phase them and then they long rest and it doesn't matter um, that sounds exactly like the next day. <laughs> that's exactly the conversation the wife and I was having uh, dear would you like to jump into this conversation <laughs> it's it's been interesting listening to it. So, with me and where I come from, it as I come from a strictly player piece of it for being having to do the travel and things like that, and not being Back. involved in the yeah go give her a pass mark, um, and not having to be involved in the planning and things like that. My biggest thing 
with travel and I, i'm sure i'm about to hear it from all of you dms here so y'all be nice to me um is if you're not gonna hand wave it or use other tools to your ability to start having those status effects on players make it involved in the story make it worth it because to to me as a player if you're like okay you can only travel three miles a day for i will i will use tomb of annihilation for example because we just finished that one um i it's a slog it, it may it, it starts to bring for me at least and this is just my opinion it, it brings the game down it makes it less fun and and to me D D is all about having fun with the players and with the dm and and having that that great experience so i i know that there's random encounters that you guys want to do because it's so cool this is the greatest bit like villain or this is the coolest animal beast thing that you have found you want the players to fight it or it to eat your players or whatever but <laughs> it, it, quite honestly if, if it if it doesn't involve or move the story along is it worth it is it worth it to do that to your players knowing that they're now about to go into this ultra mega dungeon or wherever and they still have to travel to get there and all that that you're not going to hand wave and they're going to have to go through all of these different things it's it, it, it comes down to, is it worth it to the story and to the experience? I, I think you're spot on with that. You know, as a DM and, and as a player, um, I agree absolutely with that. If, it, if it's not adding to the story and to the fun, um, then don't do it. But if you can make it add to the story and add to the fun and not make it a slog, um, it's definitely worth going for. And I think, you know... It, in my games in the past, I always sort of thought of it as a slog, so I just really hand waved it. With Tomb of Annihilation, it's really what the it's a big you know the environment is a big part of the story. Mm. So as a as a DM, I've got to really sort of uh, change my my mindset about it and, and make it interesting and fun, um, and not a slog. And, and that's always a challenge. I don't think you necessarily need to change your mindset. I think you just need to look at it a little bit differently when it comes to the level of the players. At the beginning of Tomb, I think Eric had it right. Sure, we'll do some random encounters, we'll do a couple of things. But towards the end, he didn't give he didn't care at all. Like he just got him from point A to point B. And I think kind of the consensus that I'm hearing is that travel and if you're gonna do random encounters needs a purpose. If there's no purpose Time time warp, do your little uh, passage of cinematic thing where you go do 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 and suddenly you're there. Um, for mm-hmm. me, the only time I really worry about travel is if I'm going to be doing something like Curse of Strahd where you're going to have a little Strahd cameo where he's going to kind of tease the players. Or if you have a druid and they need to get a wild shape and you want to give them a beast and there's a group of for those that are going to be doing Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, the uh, uh, herd of reindeer where they have the glowing antlers or something that's unique and something that would give them some visibility to maybe something that they haven't done yet, whether it's seeing Strahd's castle in the distance whether it's seeing something out across the tundra 
whatever it is, have a story element to it, but you don't necessarily need to go through and go, oh, yep, that's uh, another four days, and let's roll four times for random encounters. Yeah, too like, Tomb had a lot. By the way, welcome Jordan to the uh, <laughs> to the chat. Jordan is under the chat. Um, Tomb had a lot of in I think pretty well done encounters that added to what that place was. It's like you're going into a jungle that's uh, like a primeval jungle full of dinosaurs. So yeah, I want to have a bunch of dinosaur encounters and do things like to that. And it's crawling with undead because there was this former uh, undead army that was in there. So yeah, I want to do some undead encounters. So it definitely had some check boxes that I wanted to hit. But uh, those encounters were all mostly scaled for lower level. And as others have spoken to, um, the pacing for that works better in the lower levels. And once you get up to a certain tier, you know, even if you're still, quote unquote, even if an area is dangerous, like at some point, it could probably be assumed that your party is just has out leveled random encounters in a lot of regions. Now, they could go to some super dangerous areas, and that might be a different case, or go to some extra-dimensional plane or something where that those rules don't apply. But if you're walking around, you know, a forest uh, at level 12, like, more than likely, you can kick everything's ass, and, you, and they could probably be assumed. The other thing I want to speak to is, for our group specifically, uh, I've definitely grown less and less enthused with Random Encounters because our group is not playing... For four hours or five hours or six hours a week or every two weeks or whatever and combat you know as as fun as that is in D D, takes a lot a lot of time so when i think of random encounters at this point uh and part of this is the conversation i've had with my wife like i i am seeing that they they do need to start being more meaningful they need to start having some context there now some context can be hey you're in a unique dangerous area and I want to show off some of the denizens here and they might not be you know directly related to any kind of story or quest but it might just still be a neat encounter um but I think those should probably be used uh sparingly overall I think one of the things that I saw I don't want to pull critical role but I think they did a good job with this even at higher levels they started with lower level encounters where they'd run into a group of bandits and they didn't just straight out kill them. Sorry, that might not be the case with most groups that play and that's a show. And that's, I don't know how much of that's actually realistic how most people play. But later on in the game, they would run into those same NPCs again and again and again. It became almost like a running gag or a running joke. <laughs> and I think the same thing can happen if you throw actual NPCs with real story beats, real things like Strahd, like the Arcane Brotherhood, like the Wizards of Thay, like things like that where they're not necessarily things that the players will necessarily attack because they go, oh crap, this is higher level than us. Right. Or they attack it and later on they encounter it again. But I think that's the reason why the Grun were so interesting. Yeah. in Eric's campaign. You run into them once or twice, <laughs> and they were these annoying little pieces of crap, and then, for some odd reason, those things had survivability. Well, not against <laughs> George, but still. Like, and then those things survive against now. George? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think NPC and random encounters can be random, 
But if you have things where you know you're going to get a certain reaction from your players, you're going to get a certain reaction from the group, and you know it's going to play into the fun of it, then I would say go for it. But I would tend to move away from random and do more of orchestrated or chosen encounters. No more tables once you get past level five or six. Yeah, when I when I very when we very first started Lost Mine years ago, when we first started doing D and D, and obviously you can watch all of our mistakes and missteps along the way. Um, I was literally rolling for random encounters because I didn't know any better. I was just following the rules for that. And that has obviously evolved through the years. And then by the time I got to Tomb, um, I didn't roll for any of that. Instead, I looked at, okay, what does the pacing look like for how often we should have encounters? And then I would basically just pick from Tomb's extensive list of encounters which ones that I wanted to run and introduce to the players. So I still used those tables, but I didn't actually roll anything because I wanted to create more scripted scenarios that still were mostly just kind of side content and I could have thrown some extra bits in there and ultimately that jungle crawl probably took up way too damn long because you end up being in those low levels for just way too damn long but you know live and learn Brian have we heard from you yet uh no I've been here soaking things up like a sponge and just listening expel your juices sir so I think what I'll end up saying is going to be very similar to what everybody said before, just said a slightly different way. Um, being a movie and TV nerd, um, I think of things, at, especially when it comes to travel in, in two approaches. It needs to either press the story forward or it needs to be an establishing shot. If you ever have a scene in a movie that's not an establishing shot or something that's not pressing the story forward, it's just useless. Uh, and travel should be treated the same way. I think anybody who skips travel is missing a huge opportunity in D. Uh, it gives you the chance to kind of establish the setting or changes in the setting. Uh, so I was going to use a rhyme of the Frost Maiden analogies, but I'm going to avoid that one for no now. No specific spoilers, uh, please. <laughs> right, just because I've been prepping that one. We start mm. on Thursday. Um, oh, boy. But so like Dungeon of the Mad Mage, when they would head back up through the levels of the the Undermountain and back up into Waterdeep, the only encounters I would have them run into is things that would establish changes that have occurred as they have been down uh, in Undermountain, like shifts between the Xanathar Guild and the Jintarum or, or things like that. And I think the travel should be treated the same way. Uh, of like establishing the dangers of the area, you know, run a Yeti encounter up in, in Icewind Dale, but don't do it five or six times. Right. I think encounter tables are well-meaning, but poorly utilized mm-hmm. just because everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people like you will, will assume that, well, it said I needed to roll off of an encounter table. So I'm going to roll off of the encounter table and Hey, look, we're, we're dealing with the Raptors again. Yeah, you're right. What not? You know, I, I think, you know, establishing local dangers is a good point. The other thing I love to use it for is to either set up quests that are going to run in the future. So it's a good way to introduce people to characters without having them run into them in a tavern uh, or a shop. 
and, and you know, give them the opportunity to help that particular NPC or harm that NPC, you know, depending on on the inclination of your party. That's funny uh, you mentioned that. I, I plan on doing that with one of the uh, Chapter One quests in uh, Frostmaiden. I won't say which one, but it might even be written like that. I don't remember, but yes, in terms of meeting a quest, you, you don't, you know, you might leave a town and have some quests, and then along the way, just walking along, you'll end up with a you know, NPC with an exclamation point above their head needing, needing some assistance. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and then I'm famous in my, in my group as a DM for being the king of unintended consequences. <laughs> well, giving the, the character some kind of encounter that forces them to make a choice. And then there's going to be a consequence for that choice somewhere down the line. It might be that session. It might be right then, but typically They'll be towards the end of the campaign. That NPC or that NPC's brother is going to show up, and their, their choice will have not uh, turned out so well for them. Uh, you know, just adding some interest and some depth really into the setting. Uh, I think those are the main things that I use travel for, rather than just you know, hey, look, it's Pokemon. You ran into this. How? What attack are you going to use to get rid of it? Yeah, that seems to be the the least satisfying way of doing it. I mean, I do appreciate the world building. What I I like encounters that uh don't lead to combat necessarily, but just still have some world building stuff in them. Um and it's it's not just like a sentence that says, you know, hey, describe your players to this, but it's actually like a scene that happens that your players can choose to be involved in and make a thing if they want to. In fact, uh, in our current campaign, War for the Lost Plane, Chris kind of does that with a lot of our encounters where it's like, hey, you come across a tribe of tiny coconut people uh you know this is just what you see and then we can sit there and and have fun with it and giggle as long as we want or we can just kind of nod and and move on but it's none of that is necessarily meant to be even a full-on like there's no skill checks there there's no real you know encounter material i probably would like a compromise where you know between point a and point b there's at least one thing for players to do or some event to come up um one thing I do want to ask everybody, which has to do with travel, is if you offer any rules on resting or uh, having to take shelter or survival checks. I mean, there's there's rules on like foraging uh, in the Dungeon Masters Guild. Does any of that affect uh, how you rule any kind of resting restrictions? Or do you just say, hey, whatever, a day's gone by, you're just long resting all the time? Uh does anybody have specific rules, I guess, for that, for like travel resting versus in town resting? This is something I've been grappling with a lot. Yeah, for, I'll jump. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to say, they, for foraging, I find the rules in 5e to be grossly cumbersome and I don't mess with them that much. Um, especially like if somebody's brave enough to, you know, take, be a ranger in a, you know, a class that's not a wholly popular class to take. Uh, you know, it, it becomes kind of a moot point. Uh, when it comes to resting, I just keep in mind with the encounters that they're going to have, you know, a rest more often between encounters than you would in a dungeon. And so I will tweak the encounters appropriately. Uh, but that's really all I do with it, oh, Dave. Yeah, when when I started Tomb, I was I was thinking I would do exactly that. You know, we'd really get into the foraging part of it. But then mm-hmm. very quickly I realized that wasn't going to be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a player I had a, I had a player who was playing a druid, so they got good berries. It's like, okay, well, I don't they have to worry about food. Um, they had a ranger, 
they ended up with a, a, a halfling who had the, the chef feet. So there you go. And then I decided early on that these, that the guides, if they picked a good guide, and they did, they picked the Zaka, that mm. she'd basically be able to fend for them. So, you know, everything they killed, they could eat. You know, oh, there's a great dinosaur. You know, we're going to barbecue that one tonight. So I thought, <laughs> you know, I, rather than making it drudgery, it became more like background of, wow, we've never eaten so well. <laughs> 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 and uh, and then when, you know, they lose their guide, suddenly they like got to sort of figure it out on their own. But yeah, it really became a non-issue. But I agree with Brian. I was I was looking at it. The rules of, of of the foraging, I was trying to figure out how to really make it into gameplay, and it just wasn't going to fly. It's so just, still you know, auto, so still automatic long rests every every day of travel. No, no, a short rest, and they have to look for a long rest. So they're okay. pushing the short rest. That's what rest, I'm getting but, at. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I've got elves and people like that that are players like that or characters that you know some of them need it, some of them don't. I got a mm-hmm. hexblade warlock. It's like okay. Um, so there's only a few characters who really benefit from the long rest and, uh, it hasn't been a huge, huge issue. I tried to pull, um, exhaustion into it, mm-hmm. which I have a little bit. Um, but it's the same thing because they're not dying out there. The exhaustion's not such a big deal. So I've kind of let it slack a bit. Yeah. That's so a tricky one too. Putting, putting rubber to the road and actually talking about Icewind Dale, Rhyme the Frostmaiden, because I feel like that's where that question came from but we're still talking in generics. Mm-hmm. I think it definitely depends on the pace of the party. If the party's trying to get from point A to point B and they're going at a regular pace, maybe figure out some way to hand wave it. If they're going at a, at a quicker pace, then the question becomes, do we bring in exhaustion? Do we do X, Y, and Z? Because with that particular campaign, it's, says to start off everybody with free cold weather clothing. So great. Now there goes the whole hindrance of the climate that you were so worried about. But now at the beginning of the game, now at the onset, they've already given you a fix. Yeah, it, that's a really weird part of that, but which I, I will go ahead and say that much about it. That it mentions the fact that obviously there's extreme cold conditions up there. But assuming your players have cold weather gear, which obviously they would then they don't actually like roll for anything on there, which just seems like it's like just a non-issue at that point. It's like the the guide wants you to just hand wave it all away. And that feels like, yeah, it's I can cool. see where it can be cumbersome to keep track of that stuff, but you also feel like, man, does this environment not matter at all then? Like And that's that's where I think you have to be able to, as a DM, look at it and go, if you want it to matter, then you have to create opportunities where it will matter. Yeah. And I won't, I won't go into my own examples because you have to do your own prep. But I think there's ways that you can use the environment in such a way where it becomes its own character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely prevalent in Icewind Dale. And if you can do it in an appropriate fashion, sometimes not being near a settlement is more dangerous than the encounters that they're facing. But you just have to do it in such a way where they're walking along and if their survival check isn't very good, maybe they fall through the ice and now their clothing is screwed. There's, there's all sorts of different things that you necessarily could or couldn't do to create situations where suddenly travel becomes encounters. Basically travel becomes an issue. How Mm. do you, how do you actually deal with it? And see that 
that links to the conversation that Eric and I were having, God, what was it, like a week ago or something, mm-hmm. where he was talking about the, the conditions that are in the Icewind Dale. And again, I try not to listen, but we both know it's going to happen. Uh, let's be honest here. Um, okay. Who else am I going to talk to for advice to my wife? You're here, you're here all the time. Who am I going to talk to? <laughs> so, but one of the things we were talking about was, and again, it involved traveling and how do you still get your characters depleted of resources as they're getting to even to town and things like that. And my big thing when talking to him was it's not always about the encounters and having to fight polar bears or whatever. Use the other tips and tricks that are available out there. Like, like you were just saying, use the environment. Okay. So I need everyone to make a, 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 navigation check to see if you're even going the right direction and if not and then your survival check did you just like you said just fall through the ice and now your long pants that were keeping you warm one leg is now tattered and you have half your speed and it's going to take you longer to get somewhere and then on top of that start to yes johnny half pants uh and then because of that you can throw in exhaustion then so by the time your players reach town what should have taken them two days to reach town really took them like five days. Now they're coming into town with, we'll say, like three levels of exhaustion. Okay, guess what? They're going to get one long rest while they're in town. They're, now they're down to two levels of exhaustion. And now you're throwing them back out into the world and into the environment with all these side quests and different things that they have to do. So they're not going to just get to sleep for three days and then come back out all rosy cheeked and bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to go. They're going to have to pick themselves up by their big boy and big girl panties and keep going with rolling at disadvantage and having these, these problems come up. And yes, I know I'm saying this, to my husband, who is the DM, <laughs> and I am about to be the player again. And I'm I'm listening to all this. I'm going take notes, Eric. She he would do it to you. Yeah, That's oh, yeah. I'm in hearing. a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, I I would I would 100 do it in a heartbeat. Um, but it, it's using the the other things that are available that the game provides that and the world provides to to still get the same effect just keeping it fresh and it's not always having these these different encounters and just like okay we're fighting wizards again and we don't even know where they came from and um just stuff like that just keeping it keeping it fun and fresh yes and fresh I, I, I think one of the dangers of, of an outdoor adventure or of the travel is just it becomes repetitious and I think you know if you, if you make it interesting in the sense that in the beginning, uh, if the characters are low level, that's where they that's where they're going to suffer. They're going to learn about the environment. They're going to adapt to the environment. By the time they get up fourth, fifth level, they're really past that. They know how to survive. They know how to eat. They know how to not be exhausted. Um, and then you, you can you can you can back it off. But in the beginning, I think it's part of not a bad way to do character building. But it definitely has to be fun and interesting. You just can't pound them down completely (laughs) yeah um one thing i like is maybe um have you could have separate rules for areas that aren't just your overland travel in general but are a specific region that is technically an overland area but might have some kind of extra 
effects over it. And to use an example from like, I don't know, Prince of the Apocalypse, like there was that Sighing Valley, I think it was called. That's the air cult, kind of the where their tower is and kind of the outside of there. And that had like its own separate map that was not really a hex crawl, but it was a region. And you could have some kind of like extra environmental hazard in there and essentially turn that into a dungeon crawl, which is similar to how a lot of people, including me, did um, Schultz. Now, the problem with doing that with Schultz, as well as it, I think, worked for us, is that that's a huge area. Like, that is a huge area to turn into a dungeon crawl, so you have to be able to create, you know, long rest and things there. But I think if you wanted to create a... Uh, a smaller regional area that is specifically like your characters are maybe searching for something. You know, they don't know something on the map and you have to kind of essentially uh, create an an outdoor dungeon that is semi-theater of the mind in terms of, you know, having to search uh, different, I don't know, grid areas, whatever you want to call it, hexes. Um, then maybe you could use some different kind of, uh, you know, encounter rules for that versus the overarching map that you're looking at is kind of what I'm thinking of. And people who are prepping uh, Icewind Dale maybe know what I'm trying to dance around in terms of what chapter I'm thinking about using. Uh, I know, oh, just I think say I know what you're talking about. Extra rules from for back in the, oh, sorry. Back in the uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, I remember that, uh, that valley, in fact. In mm-hmm. fact, I use that idea a lot in all of my uh, homebrew adventures. I put a, one of those maps on the landing screen for different regions that they're going to and say, okay, what region are you going to? Oh, it takes a couple days to get there. What are you searching for there? Uh, and I usually use uh, like just that as a smaller map right on the main screen. Uh, kind of hard to describe exactly what my main screen looks like for all my players, but I have a, a party token that they can move around, some basic information on the screen. And on that map, though, I'll put locations out like you did with Chult. Like, here is uh, this temple. Here is this rock that's important for some yeah. reason. So, Aries yeah, there are great <laughs> tools for the, the storytelling, though, because then it lets your players kind of choose which encounters they want to do. Uh, you just prepare, like a dozen different encounters in the area, and they can kind of wander around, see which ones they want to do. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for going off there. No, that's great. Um, so yeah, in terms of just the overarching overland travel of a, of a region, um, it's, it's still tricky to wrap my head around how to make that work well in the context of using fifth edition's rules. Like, uh, I, I don't, I mean, the adventuring day thing just does not work unless you're in a dungeon, I think. Um, and, you know, the reason why Chris, for example, preps like an encounter outside like a dungeon right before we go into a dungeon um, is so we don't have to get around the fact that, you know, we're just long resting all the time when we're running around. I do, f- what I wish was the case, I guess, is that there was something, there was a difference between resting and you know in a tavern or in an inn where it was you were you could get 100 percent versus you have to rest outside in the dungeon and all of you are going to say well eric that's what a short rest is uh and i would agree that that seems like a great solution except there are a lot of classes that don't give two shits about the short rest other than their hit points and they're still entirely long rest based so 
I guess that's the problem I'm, I'm running up against is I wish that you could just have an easy blanket rule that everybody could follow where it's just assumed that, hey, you know, we're going out on an adventure. We're not going to gain the benefits of a long rest until we come back. And that's just how, you know, these side quests are paced. Or if it's a particularly long adventure, then we'll have very specific, you know, safe zones or areas where it's assumed that we can all have a safe uh, long rest versus the short rest, which you could do anywhere and is generally supposed to solve the issue of you know, resting, uh, but depending on the, and, you know, one of you was saying, you know, well, my, my party, you know, didn't care that much about long rests. Well, there could be parties that don't care much about short rests, honestly. Uh, you know, we had a whole bunch of spellcasters, then that's going to be the case. You could, what? you could always do a, a homebrew rule that depending on the environment. So for example, your next campaign, if they were to do a long rest, out in the wilderness, not near some sort of settlement. And if they didn't take the time to really prepare some sort of shelter, uh, whether it's a spell that allows them to go into an extra dimensional plane or something, I don't know, if they didn't create an igloo or what have you, that you give them the long rest, but you also give them exhaustion. Even though I know normally... That's kind of a, wait a minute, why would you do that? Mm. I feel like based off of how how brutal the environment is, if you really want to make it feel that way, then you need to have a consequence. Otherwise, you're just hand-waiting. A compromise I've seen is to allow your players to gain the benefits of a, when out in the environment, assuming they're not in a specifically a safe zone, but you know they've made a reasonable shelter, um, let them gain the benefits of a long rest, but do not let them automatically heal. And instead, they still have to roll for hit points as if it were a short rest. That way, you don't penalize. Think, no, go ahead, Sam. I think doing it like that sort of plays into a bit like what we were talking about earlier. Of, yeah, encounters while traveling should move the story forward or actually have some sort of meaning or you know, it's going to drive the campaign and unless you're playing a campaign where the environment is a character itself it just seems like that is punishing the players for no particular reason yeah um like if you're playing icewind dale then yes the, the cold <laughs> the cold would absolutely be a character you know the the weather and the the environment should be affecting the players but like as, as i say i'm doing tombs at the moment um are not tombs they're princes mm. um like walking around the Desmond valley uh, okay it's it's four days from red larch to yata my group is level 11 that they they couldn't give less of a toss about what's going on in the wilderness at the moment. Yeah. Um. I remind them of all the the weather discrepancies if they're going somewhere, but really at the moment they I've split the four temple levels into four separate dungeons and I'm running them as really quite tough. So, like long resting while they're they're walking through the the wilderness doesn't matter that they're not really encountering anything at the moment because there's mm -hmm. nothing out there that's going to affect them. But when they get into the the actual temples that they're not long resting in there. It's it's way too dangerous. They're lucky if they get a short rest. So that, that also speaks uh, to the, the high level thing that we were talking about, where a lot of what I think we're discussing in terms of at least uh, uh, 
resource draining encounters typically comes from very much tier one, maybe some tier two. But by the time you're getting to like late tier two, which is, you know, eight, nine, and 10, I think you're probably just hand waving, and probably even earlier than that, you're probably just hand waving like every encounter, unless it's a very unique, uh, particularly dangerous zone or situation. But yeah, at, at that point, like you're you're beyond like, you know, a random bear or something. <laughs> it's just not going to really affect, uh, affect the party. Once players have that hut. Man, that freaking hut. I swear <laughs> to goodness. I mean, yeah, that's problematic spells. That's, that's going to be a different topic. Um, it's just funny because that hut literally just is like, it's the I win for resting. It's like, well, we're just going to cast this hut and then what are you gonna do? Put put transforming snakes in our hut? Like maybe maybe I'll do that once. <laughs> Every, everything you can't buy is a mimic. That's right. That's right. It just so happens. Uh, you guys were on top of a purple worm nest. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's and, and what's weird is you know. Thanks, Heather. At, at some point, like I, you know, I'm generally okay with players solving problems by using spells. But that one in particular, I believe you can cast it as a ritual, and then you're just long resting at the end anyway. So it's like, as long as you have any kind of third level or above spell slot at the end of the day, you're just getting that, like, safe zone spell. And there's a, there's a couple spells, I think, that do that, where it just allows you to, like, solve all the resting issues. Which is partly why I mentioned that all these random th encounter, you know, traveling things we're talking about is mostly tier 1. Because I believe the Tiny Hut is a third level spell, which comes online at 5th level. Which is a good indicator for like, hey, maybe your players have kind of mostly graduated beyond the need for random encounters. And at that point, it becomes very unique, special, you know, scripted story encounters or particularly memorable moments that you want to make uh, in which you don't I care if, if your players are just constantly long rested. I think at higher level, travel takes a different form. It's no longer walking from... A to B, it's no longer carts, it's no longer horses. I think when you start using... Zeppelins. Yeah, if you use airships, if you use ships, if you use uh, different like spells like tree stride or what have you, like there's, there's different things that you can do, even teleportation circles and all that kind of stuff, which can hand wave things away, but you can create opportunities where things can become unexpected so yep. if if you know that your players getting to a point where they're going to be changing their mode of operation then you can either hand wave it away or like dave was saying you just change the way that cinematically you take a different type of opportunity new opportunities present themselves and if you're not taking advantage of them then you're missing it when you're missing something. But I think that's part of the reason why you're bringing that, uh, the environment in at the beginning, first few levels, is because you're showing them how difficult it is. And then they go out and try to figure out, okay, how am I going to overcome this? Am I going to get this specific kind of beast to carry things? Am I going to pick up these spells to do it? Once they've got that, they've solved the problem. So mm. it's, you know, it's, it's gotten the effect anyway. Right. No, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. It's funny, you, know, you mentioned teleportation. Uh, 
uh, portals. I'm a big fan of those, particularly with tier two and up, because at, at that point it's like, hey, you just want to be able to jet back, get stuff, whatever. It's yeah, more about town portal. Move, yeah, more about moving around than it is, you know, the, the initial getting there. Um, and uh, and I start I start using those liberally just just so the characters can get from point A to point B in uh, quicker. I do like there the... is some uh, Roach Motel aspects to it though. Sometimes <laughs> they get in and they can't get out. <laughs> I do like the aspect of uh, of rewarding the players with a uh, fast travel system. Whether that's and, and uh, Chris did this very well in Storm King's Thunder, which is a very much a traveling ass campaign. Like you are, the map in that campaign is literally just the entire like Sword Coast and beyond to the Anorak Desert, I believe. Um, I think it goes north to like it includes Icewind Dale, and then south to uh, below Waterdeep, I believe, like Baldur's Gate. Like it's a huge area, and it's a whole lot of travel, and you know. Early game, well, at one point you're in a flying castle. That helps. Um, there, but I don't actually remember a whole lot of travel. Like the, like he and the campaign did a really good job of, you know, early on giving us options for like, hey, there's gonna be a lot of travel. Here are some options for getting better travel, including having like hippogriff mounts, uh, which is why Raymond keeps making that joke about we got to get some hippogriffs in this next in this campaign run right now. And then eventually getting teleportation circles to teleport to certain cities because we all knew like, hey, we don't want to be jacking around with just walking up and down these roads and having to deal with any kind of encounter. So I think even as you know, players in that campaign that involved a lot of travel were like, we don't even want to really mess with this too much. So I'm definitely hearing all that. Um, and it's it's difficult, you know, especially coming from Tomb, which was such a hex crawl, which is a whole different barrel when it comes to travel. Um, I have to unthink a lot of that planning and prep while at the same time still continuing into a campaign in which a dangerous environment is part of the storytelling and making one that's not, you know, a drag, but hopefully uh, adds to that campaign. Uh, And then if I have to come up with some kind of... uh, decent resting rules at the outset because i think that's what i really like to do is just have them in our house rules be like hey here's just some nice plain rules we can all get accustomed whether that's you know you have to make con saves for exhaustion or or here's the resting restrictions or whatever else have to be made that would put me at peace of mind but it had to be something that we would all you know it's a collective bargaining agreement at that point just to make sure that that works for our group uh knowing that a bunch of you know just random encounters is not something that i'm interested in uh, developing and not something I don't think my players are necessarily interested in planning and 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 playing through, but hopefully still make that enjoyable. Um, I think we can start wrapping up this topic for uh, travel. We've got a bunch here, so I want to make sure everybody gets a final say. Uh, let's start with Jordan. Uh, final uh, words on traveling, resting, pacing, anything that has to do with travel, encounters, all that. I think travel definitely has its place. And I think that as your group and your game evolves, that you can change things to make it more interesting. Um, Even in a homebrew game that I ran, we had it where people could teleport out, but they had to quest their way Odyssey-style back in. So if there is 
a point to travel, if there's a narrative beat, if there's an opportunity, um, then sometimes it's not very easy to see. But if you look for it, it does have a it does have a place, and resting is a component of that. Indeed, uh, Lumpy. Final thoughts on traveling. I kind of try to think about it like uh, traveling through hyperspace in Star Trek, uh, Star Wars. So what you want to think about is you want to see the cool stuff when you're going into hyperspace, the cool stuff when you're coming out of it, and only the important stuff that happens on the ship in between. Hmm. That was well said. I like that. Sam, thoughts on travel? Well, obviously travel is important. Uh, parties have to get from A to B. But what happens while you're traveling really, for me, depends on the level of the party. Lower levels, it's random encounters can be useful as long as you sort of theme them to what you need the story to be. But as you get to higher levels, the party will have learned how to survive in a region. They'll be too overleveled to deal with that group of bandits with their potmarked sword shorts. So it's better to just add in uh, sort of large scale scene setting and story elements. The Farty, final thoughts on traveling. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, uh, you know, you want to set the scene and, you know, like whether you're in the frozen lands of Icewind Dale, I mean, if you have to sleep in minus 40 weather in the middle of nowhere, or if you're in the jungles of Chult and you're sleeping in a tent in plus 100 humid weather. I think the players need to feel a little bit of that, understand a little bit, uh, even if it's just off the beginning, kind of give them some feel for what that's like. Yeah, I'm certainly leaning towards that. Dave, talk to me about travel. Um, I definitely agree with the, the set scene and, uh, and convey the environment. Um, I see it as really the level base, particularly tier one, tier two, uh, relation, you know, relative to how, how it's handled. Um, I definitely believe in you know, sort of planning it out ahead of time. You know, forget the random encounters. You have them set up ahead of time. Know what you're going to do. Be ready for it. And most importantly, make it fun and make it relevant to what's going on with the uh, with the story. Um, and uh, and I think that makes it easier along the way. Indeed, Brian. Final thoughts on travel. Uh, my final thoughts on travel is as a DM. Instead of looking at it as a, as a hindrance, look at it as a great opportunity to engage your players in the, uh, the surrounding and add depth to the, to the locale. Uh, when it comes to the mechanics of it, rule of cool. If it, if it hinders play too much, get rid of it, modify it, and don't be afraid to experiment with it. The special guest, Heather... Your final thoughts on traveling? It, it's a lot of what everyone's already said. Make the if you have to travel, make any activities that occur during that travel worth it and part of the story, and keeping it fun and fresh for the players, and not always having those experiences. Use your environment to the best of its abilities. Use the extra tips and tricks that are in the game to to maybe not screw the players over, but to make things a little harder. It's something 
different that they wouldn't expect to have happen. They would expect to fight a polar bear or things like that. But if you're in the jungle in Chult, all right, you got beset upon by mosquitoes because we all know there's mosquitoes in that jungle in Chult somewhere. Nobody's ever mentioned them in their games, but they're there. <laughs> and you, you can give the players all kinds of status effects because of that that they just can't get rid of, especially if they're lower level. And, and just kind of adapt it and, and keep it keep it new and just make it worth it. Make it part of the story. Don't just do it to do it because the book says you have to. Are you saying every region should have their own mad monkey mist rolling around ready to transform people into different madnesses? Because that was a really fun part of Tomb. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it could happen that way. <laughs> or, you know, the mosquitoes carry the bad monkey mist or whatnot. It, it might not be the full extent, but it could be like a, a little shoot type thing of it. Just something different. Yeah, I think um, a travel cannon should definitely enhance the play. I think a lot of it depends on the group. Some groups are going to uh, like fighting a whole bunch and enjoy the combat and might enjoy, you know, extra size, especially if you're roll, you know, dealing out experience, then they might just enjoy that. And others are explicitly not going to enjoy that at all. And you just want to hand wave away the travel. So find a good compromise there, depending on your group. Um, I definitely agree with traveling in terms of the hostility of the region. It probably depends on the level of the group where lower levels, you should probably feel that a lot more, especially if you're in a particularly, um, extreme environment or dangerous location versus higher levels where you can pretty much assume the players, even if it's dangerous, you can hand wave off screen a lot of the dangers that they're encountering. Um, I do wish there were some more elegant rules in the book for uh, traveling at different levels and the kind of uh, things you can throw at people that aren't just tables and tables of combat encounters. And granted, a lot of the books... Campaign books do a decent job of having some extra things involved in there, and that's the kind of things that I'll be uh, looking at for sure. And I think at some point, even in Icewind Dale, it finally just says, look, just have an encounter whenever you feel like it. There's no rules for like three times a day, roll for this or anything. It's just decide on your own pacing, you know, how you should feel like the game is going. If you want to soften the players up, have them do that and feel the weight of whatever you're doing. But all in all, traveling should certainly enhance the experience and i know i will have to kind of relearn things a bit especially coming from a hex crawl that is kind of the extreme example of travel uh folks thank you all so much for joining me thank you to farty lumpy spuds sam brian dave jordan uh and special guest the wife heather uh for joining me for this month's dm roundtable i am eric and i hope to see you all again for next month's dm roundtable discussion See ya. Thanks awesome. for having us. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.